what I care deeply about, a smart country, and I believe that this is going to be an emerging trend because it's a trend that's been here for maybe 120,000 years, you know, according to newest research. Country for us is a genealogical kinship, uh, reciprocity, marriage, boundary that is a sovereign space of where we belong to. So I'm from Tebrukunan country. And what's beautiful about Indigenous ways of being and connecting is that country is not just a place or a region that you might feel something towards it as a one-way stream. Country is a, it's a totality of geography, emotion and connection. Hi, Smart Community friends. Welcome to the Summer Series here on the Smart Community Podcast. We're taking a little break from new content over the Australian summer holidays, but with more than 260 episodes in the bank, we've got plenty for you to catch up on. Now, during this summer series, we'll be sharing the replays of a few of our all-time favourite episodes, and this week, I'm very excited to share with you a very powerful conversation, a conversation I had with Dr. Emma Lee from episode 211. And actually, we started 2021 off with this episode. Emma is a trollway woman of the Tebrakuna country in northeast Tasmania and an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Research Fellow at the Centre for Social Impact at Swinburne University of Technology. Her research fields over the last 25 years have focused on Indigenous affairs, land and sea management, policy and governance of Australian regulatory environments. In this episode, Emma tells us about her background in Indigenous archaeology and land management and passion for First Nations social impact and regional development. I flip the script a little bit from our usual question order and in this episode we start with discussing the emerging trend of smart country that people definitely are not talking about enough. Emma explains what country is and the connection to country that First Nations people have. We also discuss some of the things that we can learn from smart country like fire management and a broader concept of conservation and a reciprocal relationship with the land and environment. Emma shares with us the power of language and the way it has been and is used to position Indigenous and First Nations way of knowing as less than than colonisers' knowledge and the decolonizing and grieving work we all need to be doing and the balance we need to strike between the global focus that is prioritised in academia and our modern world with a deep local knowledge that is so important to smart country and community. Emma tells us how this plays out in her work with the Reset the Relationship Government strategy that she helped create and the doors that were opened and the shifts that were created through a statement of love amongst the hate. We then touch on how social media creates and fuels division and how important inclusion is in our smart communities as well as the concept of individual responsibility within a community and the big mindset shift that is for many of us. We finish our chat discussing where to next for smart country and smart communities. Since the recording back in 2020, Emma has been busier than ever. She's moved home. She's begun a part-time job in government while moving part-time with Swinburne University. And there's also been a big treaty document tabled in Parliament that she has been involved in. Amongst this and many other things, Emma has also published two articles in The Age. The first article is an in-depth profile of her and her work, and the second, an opinion piece on Indigenous voice. Both are exceptional reads that really showcase Emma's passion and the incredible work that she does. We'll be sure to invite Emma back on the show in the future for a full update about what she's been up to. But in the meantime, as always, we hope you enjoy listening to this episode 
as much as we enjoyed making it. Welcome to the smart community, smart regions, smart towns, and smart cities. It's where we live, work, and play with smart communities. The future starts today. Big data, smart mobility, emerging trends galore. The Smart Community Podcast is what you're looking for. Hello, Emma. How are you today? Oh, I'm very well. Thank you, dear Zoe. That's so good to hear. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. Um, I've really enjoyed just our little pre-chat just now. Uh, and yeah, we're just going to dive straight in. Thank you so much for agreeing to come on to the Smart Community Podcast. Oh, it's just my absolute pleasure to be able to engage with new listeners and uh, and have that sense of shared and collective belief and vision about where we're going to in the future. Okay, well, let's dive straight in. And can you tell us about your background and what you are passionate about? Yes. Well, I'm Dr. Emma Lee. I'm a trawway woman from Chebrokuna country, which is now known as Cape Portland in northeast Tasmania. My family have been moved, dispossessed and exiled and genocided from their, from our traditional lands. And so I now reside in Tomagini country, which is in the northwest of Tasmania. I'm an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander research fellow. I work in Region X link programs in little office in Burnie, and that belongs to the Centre for Social Impact at Swinburne University of Technology. We're, we're the largest global research group for social impact, which tends to take in areas of social enterprise, uh, philanthropy, not-for-profit, and all the generally non-statistical measures and metrics of well-being and <laughs> social progress. Mm. Yeah, wow. How did you come to be in this field? I started out, oh gosh, in the 1990s as being one of the first crop of Indigenous archaeologists in Australia, a large cohort of us that went through and uh, had a you know, very satisfying career in, in archaeology and land management. I'm in my late 40s now. You get to a point, uh, for me, that was coming up to 40 where you know, your skills start to get a bit tired, a little bit dried out. And so I went back to university to do a PhD in regional development. And my particular passion and focus is, of course, Indigenous uh, First Nations social impact and regional development. Yeah, no, excellent. And I'm just trying to remember how I came across your work. Um, I think it was an article that you had written around what your expertise in, obviously. And I think I found you on LinkedIn and then sent you a message and be like, hey, let's talk. And this is how we came to be here today, which is really exciting. And we've had a chat what uh, last week or the week before, and I was just really excited about your your perspective to bring to this. And we're talking about smart community space. And you said to me before that, you know, smart communities isn't your area, but it is your area, but you just bring such a different perspective. And I'm I'm really keen to dive into that a bit more. So we're going to start with one of the questions that I normally ask last, but what are the emerging trends that people aren't talking about enough? So for me, and dear Zoe, this is exactly right. I looked at, you know, smart communities, smart cities and go, oh, I just, it's not a discipline that I know. I'm kind of, you know, for the listeners, I'm a little bit of a ring-in here. But uh, what I care deeply about, smart country, and I believe that this is going to be an emerging trend because it's a trend that's been here for maybe 120,000 years, you know, according to newest research. Country for us is a genealogical kinship uh, reciprocity, marriage, boundary that is a sovereign space of where we belong to. So I'm from Tebrukunan country. 
And what's beautiful about Indigenous ways of being and connecting is that country is not just a place or a region that you might feel something towards it as a one-way stream. Country is a, it's a totality of geography, emotion and connection. It's more than human agency of ancestral beings. It's a place where uh, our elders mediate that ancestral law to us as community people. It's a place of most deepest to oldest continuing cultures. And country isn't just this blur of connection. It's not one of an unanchored space. It's very much of a localised place and that 2017 there were two quite different studies done on Australian First Nations people hair samples, one from a contemporary population, another from a historic population. What they found out of this was that our peoples, when you meet an Indigenous or First Nations person in country, you're actually meeting the same genetic people from more than 40,000 years ago. I believe in two ways that we come from the stars as our Palawa people. We came to Earth as a kangaroo man here in Tasmania. But I also believe that we also came in from Indonesia through the islands from Asia and across. And so when we made that journey of crossing the seas to Northern Australia, we came and found the limits of occupation. We made those our countries and a time of colonisation, there were 750 distinct sovereign nations. And this study showed that people either went down the west or the east. There's not a crossover between those two populations, nor is there what they call backfill. And this is where we don't go, we never backtracked across and upwards when we came south. And for those who are in the north, who never came um, south either. And what this meant was that there's no civil war. There's no sense of slavery and then capturing a population to make work for you, to grow your own strength and power and lands. This is not to say that violence isn't part of our ritualised societies, but it is to say that country and our people have one of the deepest, most abiding connections and connectivity of any group of humans across time. And in Tasmania, we're exceptional in the sense that we are the southernmost oldest isolated population so that we've been here in our countries for over 10,000 years. That connection runs very deep. Mm -hmm. Wow, I'm just mesmerised by your story that you're telling here. I just, I think this, the connection to country is such an important piece of, you know, all of us as Australians and then also as we move forward into, you know, we've got this, we've got technology, we've got all these things that are coming at us or new inventions, um, you know, that, that are happening and progress and all these other things that are happening. From your research and, and, you know, all the things that you know, how can we really, I guess, bring it back to what's really important about, you know, country and community and those type of things? Absolutely. I mean, country has to be an emerging trend. When you think that we stayed in country across the most seismic climactic changes, I mean, here in Tasmania, the land bridge to Victoria was flooded. We have semi-desert regions in Victoria, New South Wales and South Australia that were once underwater. Now people stayed in country. So smart country for me means that Technology must have an adaptive 
and pragmatic purpose. We didn't create technologies to gain more. Our technologies are an aid of keeping what we have. But that's that great, deep, respectful relationship between them more than human agency. Countries, so long of heaves and pulsates with life and death under the ancestral beings who created these landscapes, seascapes and waterways. Now, there's not one place that does not have a story and a technology to keep that story alive. And in the breakdown of our societies where we've become a mobile population that to be seen to be a world traveller is the essential goal of new ways of living, to have as many experiences as possible, takes away from that deep sense of technology is simple to enhance the relationships of your own backyard. And Mm. so colonisation has brought with us this, this shame that what we have isn't good enough that we must compare ourselves to others. Smart country says that being here is fine. We can validate our own knowledges and our own worth and our own connections and our own abilities from within our small places that we belong to. When we think about fire management, I mean, it's quite, you know, becoming more well-known that Australia has been an absolute managed landscape of fire didn't require GPS, didn't require trucks, required people to continue on the oral traditions of our laws and how we have relationships with animals and plants. And what it required most of all is for us to be in country. And conservation has this conception of nature separated us out from closer connections to country and conservation. We have this terminology of fences and vines. We lock up a place. We can stand on the edges and peer over the fence. This is not the way how we manage country. We cannot develop deep and significant relationships with our plants and animals and geography, our rivers, our, our night sky country, if we are locked in these prisons of our own ideological making. And so fire requires deep networks amongst each other where our song lines and stories connect with our neighbouring sovereign country, we come together to use fire as more than just a, a means of stopping another fire, prevention. Fire has a very long history, colonisation, where it was a, a weapon of war that our peoples used. We We had no guns and we had no resilience against disease, but we certainly were able to understand fire and that fear of those first colonial mobs and being burnt out meant that fire became demonised, fire became dangerous. And smart country says that fire is life. Fire is a necessary and needed quality to retain our precious resources and so smart country asks us again to think that is it the tools around the purpose that's important or is it the communities involved in caring for country that are of more value greater use to ensure that country is not lonely It's not crying out for the weeds and the destruction to ensure that country is singing pride and joy for us having that reciprocal relationship. 
Yeah, it's so important. And uh, again, I've just mesmerized by your storytelling ability and thinking about yeah, the country and the, the fire and then the dancing and the joy and things that are happening within our country when we are connected to it, I suppose. And I'm keen to hear more around, you know, if people are trying to connect more with country but maybe they don't know how, what are some of the first steps that they can take to get that deeper connection? I, I do a lot of work in governance, land and sea management and policy and environment. And, and I do a lot of work in governance where I talk about the, I mean, if we think of governance as the authority to make decisions and the relationship between decision makers, Indigenous peoples are not equal partners in a governance relationship in pretty much every aspect of, of our social and public and commercial lives. And part of the work that I do is looking at decolonisation. How do we think about other ways and other knowledge forms that at first recognise that we have these colonising structures placed that deny an education about Indigenous peoples and our knowledges and at the same time focus in on so-called deficits. I mean, growing up in my life, I've been dirty, stupid, unacceptable, lazy, been a drain on a Western society. And so if you want to speak well, as a other Australian person, if you want to speak to a relationship that you have with your, the trees in the park or the river or the beach or the mountain, to listen to Aboriginal people and to use that language of connection, colonisation has taught us that that's wrong that you are a deviant for wanting to know our societies and our poetry of language. You are considered an outsider for wanting to connect in ways that decrease loneliness, having a relationship with this more-than-human agency. And so for me, decolonisation starts out the same that our languages and our emotional content and input is important for all Australians to be able to create that place for themselves. I mean, I always say when you love country, country loves you right back. You are never alone. You are never lonely. And so these connections and the language and the positioning of Indigenous peoples and ways of knowing central and core to new futures in Australia. It's scary for a lot of people because firstly they, when I talk about decolonising work, I talk about how we grieve together for the fact that, you know, others have not known and have lost significant language of connection and so it comes as a shock and they're grieving. But there again, I use that word joy, love, 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 love comes out of those connections. And unfortunately, what colonisation has taught us is that lands and waters are there to be a resource under human agency, capture and extract. And the happiness comes out of the other end that whether it be money or cars or trips overseas or and so this dominion of nature I see that as a deficit language that says you can't just have a connection and relationship just for the sake of it you have to take something out of it country asks you just to give with no expectations because when you learn the law and the language the rewards are great 
Absolutely great. You strip yourself down to your values and what is actually meaningful. And in a, that place, it's infilled with this warmth, kinship, reciprocity, glow of belonging. Mm. I think belonging is such an important part of our the future of our communities, right? And and you talk about it as more than just a, you know, belonging to human human, it's belonging to where you are, which I think is really powerful. And like last week when we were speaking, we were talking a little bit about loneliness and how that's such a, you know, epidemic in itself. What are some of the things that you see that have changed to, I guess, we're separate us, I guess, from country and, you know, that loneliness that a lot of people are feeling, particularly in 2020? It's been a terrible thing. I mean, I do look at new technologies like Zoom and the camera, video camera, you know, platforms that have immensely aided the connection between people. And I'm very grateful for these kinds of technologies. But most of us, even in lockdown, have a window that we look out of. And country isn't just somewhere out there beyond your street. Country is Sydney, Melbourne, Hobart, Brisbane, the ancestors. The law is damaged by the imposition of these stoppages streets, buildings, and yet there is a connection there that spirit resides on that to look out your window and still to belong. It's, it's saying that what I've found and what many other people have found in the slowdown is that we can look at a dandelion growing in the cracks of a pavement. We can see, you know, the the pigeon, and even though these are invasive to us, to country, we take them on as part of our journey. Sometimes they have to be managed and sometimes not, but this is country. And to be able to see that interaction between an insect and a plant, just spend quality time looking closely, paying attention. It's not a mindfulness. It's about the recognition of the holistic nature of knowledge. Everything is connected. I'm not talking about internet connection, connectivity. I'm talking about this great cycle that our actions have on our places, being, family, community. That that kind of knowledge once you start opening up your mind to a different way, allows you to see that connection to country, that ancestral being that shaped that place, allows us to think about things differently in terms of the relationships we have with each other and ourselves. The hardest thing in the world is to reach out to someone and say hi, but we can start with talking a country, <laughs> having these internal dialogues. What do you need to be healthy? How can I contribute to that health? And sometimes it's as simple as recognition opens us up. Instead of these closed doors of we have to be more, society expects us to create more, have more, be more. Country doesn't want you to be anything but a knowledgeable person. That was our currency, knowledge. We have our elders as our governance. More knowledge you have, deep and intimate, every tree, every dune, every waterway, makes you a very powerful person. It's, this isn't knowledge about a Wikipedia sense of knowledge. This, again, this is the knowledge about your own backyard, that little part of your boundary and creates a very powerful person of respect and aspiration in societies. 
Yeah. And I think that, yeah, the knowledge, you kind of, your local knowledge, which is a term that people use very regularly and even just in, yeah, writing bids and tenders, local knowledge, local knowledge. But that's, it's changed so much now that you can, you can access anything you want at your fingertips, but in your own backyard, you need that. You can't Google that, right? You can't look that up. You need to have that in-depth knowledge where I see that's where that connection to country really comes in, right? Absolutely. When I first started my PhD and academia, the global is very much valued. It's a great virtue. Overseas conferences, uh, global networks, conditions of being an international citizen is highly valued. And I started out becoming part of a very important international Indigenous group called the ICCA Consortium, Indigenous Communities, Conserved Areas Consortium. This is about 80 countries, huge connection, and it's exciting. It's valuable, opens up the world. But then I realised that I'm actually losing knowledge of my own backyard, retreating back to my own backyard and just saying that's good that that's out there, but I need to know my own community, my own country or neighbouring country to understand that interconnectivity. How do we articulate the relationships we have with country and include those other Tasmanians who don't belong to our cultures. The great body of my work is undertaken in Tasmania. This is the anchor of my own peoples. And in Tasmania, if you know anything about Tasmania, most people will know trees, 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 Greens Party, Franklin Dam, and most of us were also taught in schools that Aboriginal Tasmanians became extinct, exterminated, declared no more upon the death of our great countrywoman, Truckanini, in 1876. And this outsized tale of resource, greed, fused a global imagination that uh, indeed H.G. Wells's book War of the Worlds, he actually writes that this is a metaphor for what we did to Aboriginal Tasmanians and our experience helped Mr. Raphael Lemkin in the 1940s used us as a case study to help define the term genocide, which, of course, gave rise to UN Convention against it. In that sense, connection and recognition and acknowledgement, peoples, for us was doubly important because we were non-beings. We have been considered so for 140-plus years. I was very lucky that Tasmania is small enough, an island and population enough that can have access to governance. And our governance relationship was so bad, so violent, that as a family relationship, and being hurt, Indigenous peoples, by the people who are meant to protect us in our own homes, but there's no one you can complain to, the government. Now the police and the decider and the cultural mythologizer, the privilege of whiteness to wipe out our stories and replace our connections with their extraction values. And we're like an old married couple. I mean, we're not going anywhere. And neither are these strangers who came to our shore. And so we have a violent governance relationship. So about 2014, myself, and there was a new change of government in Tasmania after 16 years. It was a conservative government. They're in their second mode now, 2014, they were 
rode it in and went to them, said, we love you. Thank you for your genocide. Thank you for your exile. Thank you for your dispossession. We love you. And as genocide survivors, I understand the trauma of that statement for many of our peoples. This isn't about forgiveness and forgetting, but it's about trying to crack open new ways Developing a relationship with each other when we recognise each other, that no more are we non-beings in our own country, but we become people that we are, living, breathing, not relegated to a history page and a cautionary tale, but instead custodians, traditional owners and first peoples of our lands and seas that we've been here for 40,000 years. By going to them and saying, brother, I recognise you, sister, I recognise you, auntie and uncle, I acknowledge you. Of giving of yourself, of expecting nothing in return because nothing had changed for so long. I opened up some doors where the strangeness of this statement of love in amongst the hate and the negligence created a shift in people's thinking. What have we done? What are we missing out on? What can we do better? And to cut a long story short, to repair this, to begin to repair this governance relationship, I helped create a whole of governance strategy called Reset the Relationship. It wasn't about prescribed bits of we need this and that. It was about the relationship of reciprocity and kinship and belonging and trust. I don't need you as a public servant to do my job of human rights. I need you to do yours. But within this framework, you are my brother or sister. We have kinship and therefore we need to be reciprocal with each other. We said the relationship did something amazing and um, we helped to get our first joint management plan of a protected area, which is Tasmanian Wilderness World Heritage Area. It helped create a platform for a million-dollar, unique, globally unique Aboriginal education web-based system, which what the kids learn at school, you too can learn at home, called the ORB, O-R-B, the ORB, and the voices and knowledges of our elders come straight at you. There's nothing that your kids learn that you don't know about. It's completely transparent. I think one of the greatest things, I mean, amongst other parts of Reset, was that we were able to get within our own Tasmanian state constitution, constitutional recognition that we are first peoples and traditional owners of lands, seas, waters. And we did that. 23 months from the idea being raised, should we do this in January 2015 to December 2016, the government signing the royal assent and that we went through a parliamentary inquiry, a bill through two houses of parliament, but 23 months. And we did this by saying that the relationship is everything. Some people might consider that technology. Some people might consider it social. We see this as culture. It comes from country. It comes from deep, deep within 40,000 years of us being here. And we came out of this, what I call a myth death of extinction, and we came into being. And so we begin to heal that relationship between ourselves where country and smart country has guided us and in return will benefit when we put the focus back on love, love, love. (laughs) So powerful and I think and I've read some stuff about, you know, the love bombing like you talked about and I just think it's so powerful and moving forward into new ways of thinking and new ways of doing doesn't have to be you know, the latest tech or the latest whatever. It's actually just recognising what is and what was and, like, we have a relationship whether we like it or not, right? 
And so repairing that and moving forward into new ways, so powerful. And I think such a, I want to say powerful again, but just the essence of what community, smart community, smart country is, is not moving forward in progress, but moving forward in that relationship with country and people and communities. So, Absolutely. We already know that a lot of the social media creating greater division because it's not a relationship. It's a means and a technology of sharing and speaking, but it's not a relationship. And to me, that's been the greatest failure of foresight, that we can't have relationships with these things, it's with each other, and that requires a hell of a lot of face-to-face or (laughs) face-to-country. It requires you being present in the moment. It requires your commitment to respect others, even when we find their ideas different, strange. It requires us to think about the mutual benefit we have of care and love, love bombing. Love bombing doesn't cost anything. It's methodology. It's free to a certain extent. Indigenous and First Nation knowledges are not a gift. They're not there for other people to take. We work hard. We spend decades, our whole lifetime, at the knees of our, you know, sitting at the knees of our elders. We earn the right of knowledge. It doesn't come with a keystroke. You actually have to be in country to understand that connection between fire and plant and animal and feel the elements upon you. It's not a gift. It's a life world. And that can be frightening and anxious for some people to commit. And I I completely understand that. It's not something you necessarily dip in and dip out of. It requires, you know what I mean, this part of the great, wonderful cultural diversity we have in our lands and seas, night skies. But for us as Indigenous and First Nations peoples, it's what you're born into, it's what you know, it's what you learn. It's a pathway of life that you tend to shed trappings of the Western world, all do you get? Because the knowledge that you have about those connections mean that you value other things less. Don't need the newest fashion. What good is that? The ability to keep pushing forward reciprocity. What relationship do I have to this thing in front of me, whether that's an ancestral being or a stone tool or a person, what is the reciprocity? What is the relationship? How am I then responsible? Because individual responsibility is massive in our communities. I remember a dear, amazing, elder friend of mine was explaining this concept to me. She just went, well, if a kid climbs in a tree in my backyard and he falls down and hurt himself, that's my fault because I wasn't there to watch him. Well, that tree wasn't safe enough. Everything is my responsibility to look out and care for others. That's a massive mind shift for so many of us whose first responsibility is to ourselves. That's what reciprocity to country meant to engender in us that in and of it, our, our, we derive a sense of ourself by looking out for everyone else. Are you safe in country? This is, this is why we have these welcomes to country. I need to keep you safe because if you're not, that's my responsibility when you're in my country. And then we begin to say, well, what relationship are you, my sister, auntie, cousin? What do you need 
to live the fullest life. That's one of my fellow research fellows at Swinburne, Dr. Justin Trance, and, you know, he just said he works in um, psychology. I mean, you know, he's just explaining that disability in our society is completely different. You're not the lesser if you're not more. You're just that person with a wonky leg because you are valued, because there is this, again, joy and making sure that person has everything that they need. You don't hide them away. You don't exclude them. I mean, we come from a society that never had prisons. Let's think about that for a moment. 120,000 years, we didn't lock people up. Exclusion and banishment be the worst kinds of punishment for our peoples. How do you live in a society without prisons? And of course, you know, with the Black Lives Matter, and particularly in the US at the moment, and defunding the police, people are saying we can't go there. It seems so strange. And yet for us, it's not. Because it's the relationship we have, the smart country. It gives us our place. Society, my place is already ordained. I know that I am nothing without country, but I have every individual responsibility. It is so great a responsibility to care for others, care for country. That defines me. That smart country. So where to next? For smart country. Well, I'd just love to launch a million love bombs across <laughs> this nation of ours. You know, if I could snap my fingers and have one wish, would be that we care more for each other, that we would see a country as this place of belonging, but that we... I don't know, when we talk about research and development and practical action, we slow down and say, I understand we're doing this because climate change, you know, we have to get rid of old technologies, harm country. But what is the purpose of this shift? What are we doing? We say to make the world a better place, but we're not very clear that it's on ourselves that we make the better place. So where to from here? I think we need to slow down some of our thinking. I think we need to engage in a lot more decolonising work. I think we need to find the right ears to be able to hear Indigenous language and meaning and content. And I think that we need to... Stop being fearful about the fall into trust, belief, country, smart country will care for us if we care for it first. I think we need to call each other brother and sister more often, widen that circle of including strangers in our lives. And yet at the same time, we need to look very, very closely at our own backyard our own block, our own sense of self, exactly the place upon where you stand. I have hope that it's more than hope. I have belief that we will get there. We've been here for so many tens of thousands of years, 200 and something years ain't going to clip us off that easy. <laughs> mm. I'm excited for, I guess, building that future together of smart country and uh, I've taken so much away from what you've said and I've really enjoyed listening to um, you tell this story and I think it's given me a lot to think about as well, travelling around and even just I've been looking out my window into my own backyard here and thinking about knowing every corner before travelling somewhere else or, you know, so many things to think about. So thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. And I feel very, very lucky that you uh, chose 
to come on today and have this conversation with me. So thank you so much. Thank you, dear Zoe. Um, and, you know, and thank you to the lovely listeners who might just take a moment as well. But I appreciate this moment because Indigenous voices still aren't invited and heard as often as they should be. Mm. And uh, so, you know, part of love bombing is to be able to say that thank you because you have helped expand out our human rights by giving us this little corner and this little moment to have a yarn up. And so take that warm glow with you because of you doing your job, you help me do mine. Thank you so much. I feel very, very humbled to be a very small part of getting your voice out there and getting yeah you heard because I think it's so important and in this smart community space, you know, you're not the first person to say you're a ring-in, you're definitely not in my eyes because we need so many more voices. We need more diverse voices so then we can have that inclusivity and all the things you were saying are principles of what we want for our future, right? We want to be able to work together and love bomb everybody. So thank you again for coming on to the podcast. I feel like we could talk for a long, long, long time and we'll have to have a conversation again in the near future. But I'll let you go and thank you again, Emma, for coming on to the podcast. Willika, thank you. Talk soon. Bye. Are you looking for an engaging speaker, MC, or facilitator for your next big event? Then we've got you covered. Zoe is a go-to speaker, MC, and conversation facilitator with a difference. She's a master at simplifying the complex and making connections you might never see. Book Zoe for your next event. Email hello at mysmart.community or head over to her speaker page, www.mysmart.community forward slash speaking. Thanks so much for listening to the Smart Community Podcast. Show notes for this episode and all other episodes are available on our website, mysmart.community slash podcast. If you have any questions for us or any of our guests, you can email hello at mysmart.community. You can also find us on the socials. We are on LinkedIn and Twitter at smartcomhq. That's com with two M's. If you are enjoying the podcast, please hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. And we would love for you to leave us a rating and review at wherever you listen. This really helps us reach more ears and eyes. So thank you for your support. As always, we hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as we enjoyed making it. Community podcast is what you're looking for.